What's up guys? Welcome back to the Shea Salescast. We have a very cool episode for you today with one of our favorite professors here in the Shea, Dr. Nick Panagopoulos, who is the Director of Executive Education, and he also has a really cool set of global sales and consulting experiences. Nick's going to be leading our Shea GCP back in his home country of Greece. Shea students are going to be traveling from Athens, Ohio to Athens, Greece, and working with a local company to find better solutions. On today's episode, we talk about a cutting-edge topic, artificial intelligence and its impact on sales. We also learn what it is like to be world-class and have a global mindset in your sales career. This is a very awesome episode. Here we go. How you doing today, Nick? I'm doing fantastic, Cole. Thank you very much for inviting me. No problem at all. I'm really excited about today's topic. We are talking about a very cutting-edge topic, which is AI and sales. So throughout the history of sales, there have been a lot of trends that have really caused salespeople to uh, almost fear for their job. Could you talk about some of these trends and your thoughts on the past? Yes, I will be delighted to. So I remember there was an article in uh, New York Times back in 1916, right? That's that's pretty old, like about 100 years ago. But it has uh, its own historical significance because back then that article was actually saying that we no longer need salespeople because we can use advertising. And <laughs> advertising was the new thing back then. Uh, and the rationale for this is that uh, unlike you know having a, an army of salespeople knocking on the door, traveling by train back then and by car sometimes, uh, you can just you know advertise in a trade publication or in a magazine or a newspaper or something, and you can just cover the entire market uh, instantaneously with low cost. So that was like you know uh, the major rationale. Well, of course, salespeople were not replaced. Uh, then uh, we're moving like. Um, I would say back to the 1990s, early 1990s, maybe late 80s as well. And then we saw the, um, the evolution with the CRM. Back then, the terminology was kind of different, was the Salesforce automation, SFA, as we used to say back then, and the CRM in the late 90s, I would say. And we, uh, in the sales forces, we had the same, the exact same fear. I remember salespeople with executive education and training seminars, they were just asking. Uh, me, other people, what's going to uh, the future going to look like? Is it going to be like this uh, damn mach- machine is going to replace me because uh, I can type in all the information about, you know, that's my power, that's my knowledge, and uh, the organization no longer needs me. Uh, we, uh, after 25 years, you know, moving fast forward to today, we haven't replaced salespeople with CRM systems. Uh, uh, quite the contrary, we have... Uh, empowered salespeople with CRM systems. So we, the salespeople and the machine, the CRM systems, right, we work hand in hand. So this is what happens. So nowadays we got another, you know, a fad and a buzzword, mm-hmm. which is the AI. And this is going to also take our, um, you know, place in the organization and our jobs away. Uh, so I'm going to start strong and say, I do not think this is going to happen on the basis Good. of evidence. And I can talk about this a little bit if you would like me to. And before we, and I know you've got uh, questions to ask me, and I, Im- I can imagine that uh, these questions will be related to, you know, specific evidence on the sales profession, and I would be glad to do this. But before we go there, I would like to share, you know, the findings from uh, a few calculations of mine. And uh, this had to do, these calculations have to do with the regulatory environment. I'm talking about political decision-making and uh, regulation. Awesome. So 
just think about this, uh, Cole. Um, if we just consider this, you know, fictitious scenario, right? If we in the U.S. only, we replace humans, like humans' jobs, right, with AI and any other sort of smart machines, right, that's going to eliminate $2.7 trillion in annual wages in the U.S., okay? Well, we know that the one major source of revenue for any government, right, in the U.S. and elsewhere is taxes, right? So with a tax rate of only 25%, which I believe it's, you know, the lower bound or something like that, uh, if that happens, the U.S. government will lose $674 billion of tax revenue or 30% of its revenues. So if we think about this, I, do, I cannot envision any government in the U.S. or anywhere else, right, that they, they want to cut their jobs in, to that significant extent because they will have to replace this revenue from taxes, right? So there is much more than, you know, technology, and this is very important. We need to think about, you know, the regulatory, the social environment as well, and the economy as a whole. And this is something many of us were missing from the whole, the big picture, as I'd like to say. Um, and then there's uh, very interesting evolutions, like in the uh, European Union law, and uh, I come from Europe and I uh, understand, you know, the way they work there, like in the EU parliament. Uh, they are thinking very strongly about passing this new legislation about uh, taxing, having taxation, I mean, for any robots being employed in an organization. And that reminds me, uh, you know, uh, recent articles that I guess everybody has seen in the U.S. For, from very important people like Bill Gates. Yeah. Uh, and Elon Musk is another one. But Bill Gates was the first one in the U.S. that said, if we employ robots, we need to tax them. So I'm just starting out with uh, more than just technology, because usually the focus of the discussion about AI revolves around technology. But that's not correct. Well, I think a lot of people think that from a business perspective, it's going to save them a lot of money. But I haven't really considered the entire big picture, as you just mentioned, with, with the government. And ultimately, they, they are calling the shots in the economy. So that's very interesting. And... Uh, uh, definitely well, a unique perspective. Well, they have to think, if they do this, they have to think of a way to replace those taxes, right, and those streams of revenues. Not to mention the unemployment rate from a bigger picture standpoint in the economy, which means that there is no one out there to buy my goods and services. Yeah, that definitely so would be good. So we would have to think about this. It's not going to be a process which can happen next Monday morning. If that happens, and we're not talking about the foreseeable future, this is like five years, that's how we define something usually, right? It's going to be down the line. It's not going to happen, I mean, in the foreseeable, again, future. So what would you say um, would be AI's role in the future of sales if it's not going to replace the jobs like a lot of people are saying, and, and it seems like you don't think that it will? What do you think that AI is going to do if it does have a place in the sales force? Yes, that's a great question that's very specific to our job, to the sales profession, and I think this is great. I would like to talk about, uh, not about predicting the future, because I strongly believe this is something that uh, I would dare to say very few on mm -hmm. the planet can do, right? Absolutely. And I am not among them. I cannot <laughs> predict the future. I don't have a crystal ball. It is the same <laughs> because we in the sciences, right, in general, right, we estimate about things that are going to happen. And I want to make this short introduction because like in medicine, for instance, right, uh, I cannot uh, 
you know, accept the fact that there's no medical doctor on this planet, right, that can predict when someone can actually die, mm-hmm. right? They can give you the risk that you are running of being, you know, uh, dead in the future, right? Because of your habits, of your behavior and things like that. So if you drink too much, for instance, and so on and so forth. So I'll do the same because that's what we do in science. And I'll talk about the risk of us, I mean, the profession, the mm-hmm. sales profession being automated. Before I do this, I would like to make a distinction between um, very routine activities in the sales profession and very complex, complicated, I mean, uh, which, is very, which are two very different things, right? Mm-hmm. With that being said, I also want to make the, this note here that salespeople, there are different types of salespeople employed in the uh, U.S., European and so on and so forth economies, right? There is no actually one type of salesperson, you know, so the practitioners that are listening right now, they can attest to this because it's one thing to be employed as a retail salesperson and it's another thing to be uh, employed as an IBM salesperson, right? Selling business to business, complex solutions. Um, So we can't talk about everything. I can't give you like a, I'll give you an average risk because I have done this research This is part of my ongoing research right now. But I would like to make a distinction between different types of selling positions, right? Mm -hmm. So I I believe that uh, the risk of automation exists, but it doesn't exist not so much on the selling job or selling professions, different positions, I mean, but it exists and it's it's a significant risk on the type of activities. And I'm talking about routine activities. Like, let me give you uh, some example. Like, if we are collecting information, okay, from the internet, and this is a fundamental activity for many, and I would say most salespeople out there listening to us, like they uh, generate intelligence about, you know, customers. Uh, they score leads and prospects and try to identify who is going to be uh, a fruitful opportunity for them, and so on and so forth. Now, this is a routine to a great extent for most selling positions activity, that thing can go away. And this is what we have seen right now with the uh, role of AI in uh, outside of the sales profession. We've seen like, for instance, uh, drones delivering food, take out food and things like that. And that of course can happen because that is a routine activity. I go to the nearest pizza restaurant, right? And I just, you know, stop by and I grab something. That can happen with the technology, with AI, with drones, with self-driving cars, and so on and so forth, right? But that is a very simple activity. It's just driving there, getting something, going back to your house, for instance, and delivering something to you, right? Um, And the same is happening right now with smart uh, devices in smart homes. Like, for instance, we may have a uh, smart uh, coffee machine, for instance, and it uh, recognizes that uh, you're running out, for instance, of coffee, and they can just go ahead and reorder this for you, right? Mm -hmm. That's a routine activity. Uh, But they cannot analyze easily your tastes, your preferences, your behaviors. That's another thing. That's more complicated. Um, Or uh, we've seen, and I think this is a great example to talk about this. Um, I don't know if you are aware of this, but Lowe's, uh, the uh, national chain, they're having this um, on an experimental stage at this moment, but they're having this uh, robot, and I can't remember they have a name there. It's actually greeting customers within as you are entering the stores uh, in a few selected stores throughout the U.S. 
and they can walk you through the aisles and you know direct you to uh, the drill section, for instance, and the drivers and things like that. Uh, well, that's that's very important. That's a very nice service uh, the robot can provide to the customer. But once you have a very complicated question because you want to remodel your kitchen, for instance, right? Uh, what that robot is going to do is they're going to say, well, wait, hold on. I'm going to call a representative right now. I'm talking about a human, right? Yeah. So the human person comes in and says, thank you, robot. I'm going to take it from here, right? So um, now I think before we move on with uh, more specific to sales, right, um, there is a, um, a fantastic research done by uh, James Basson in Boston University. Uh, um, this, this professor, he studied uh, 271 occupations used in the 1950 U.S. Census, and he also did the same with a number of professions in the 2016 census, right, the data. Uh, he found out, and I think this is remarkable, that only one profession was eliminated from 1950 to 2016, 2015, if I remember correctly, to be precise. Can you guess what that profession is? You already told me, so I know what it is. You, okay, so I, I've been sharing this throughout <laughs> classes and everything. It's the elevator operator, right? Nobody needs that anymore. I can just press the button myself, right? <laughs> well, this is fantastic because if you think like the, the growth and the advances of technologies between the 1950s and 2015 has been like a tremendous period in the you know, human history, right? Yet the professions are here. We haven't seen, you know, uh, professions like even representatives being vanished yet, right? Uh, and then there is, a, from a business standpoint, because the Boston University wasn't like exactly from the business school, but there is a significant study by McKinsey, uh, and it was published in 2017, and they have found out in this uh, great study that less than 5% overall of occupations can be completely automated. So I think this is important, right, to mention before we uh, delve into. So do you want me to go ahead and talk about how do I think uh, that AI can be integrated into the sales force? I've got a quick question for yes, you. Yes, please. So in terms of routine tasks, mm -hmm. uh, I just want to kind of clearly define what you mean by this. So obviously, simple task, that's a part of it. But are these also, would you include repeatable routine things that, yes. for example, you used the, the pizza delivery example. I think that that kind of helps the listener understand that it's something that yes. you're able to design into a robot or into code or whatever because it's such a simple, it's it's repeated, it's happening over and over again. So I think that that was an important distinction that helped me understand how that works and how it's being used so far. So thank that you, was just my Thank question. you so much, Cole, for bringing up this uh, clarification question because I believe this is important. I'm not going to get into details on the uh, uh, AI mm -hmm. technology and um, philosophy, right? But really on the surface, right, what really an algorithm is, because when we say AI, primarily we're talking about an algorithm. That's mm -hmm. a software, that's a line, that's a code, right? So basically what we do when we automate something is that we can, I can write a code about a task. That means about a process, right? That means that I can break down this process. I reach out for my coffee mug right here, I take it, I, uh, you know, I reach out you know, to you, I give it to you, and you can taste it, right? That's a simplified process. So if you can break down the process, and if you can systematically write a code that repeats yeah. those specific steps, then you can automate this. 
That's why, for example, the pizza delivery, which is outside of sales, of course, can be automated. Now, in the sales profession, because I think this is very important, right? Um, what I have done in my research, and I'll talk about this, uh, the just you know the overview of the methods that I have employed, uh, but I have found out that the uh, routine, some of the examples of these routine activities are lead generation and scoring, because I can uh, systematically identify the steps that a successful salesperson follows in her job, right? Uh, something which is very important nowadays is the content generation and the personas analysis, right? I can go, for instance, I can go on LinkedIn and I can identify pieces of information about the posts and the likes and the content that you share. And I know from a systematic point of view that you are a analytical type of person, for instance, as a buyer. So I can come up with a profile about you. That can be done uh, with AI, for instance, right? Schedule appointments for you and things like that. On the other side, and I think this is very important from a sales standpoint, we need to think about the buyer. If someone wants to think about the risk of automation within sales positions, uh, we need to also think about the risk of automation on the buyer side. Because there is a, um, the law of the sales, as we say, uh, as always, right, is that if there is a human person on the other side buying from you, then probably we need someone from the other side selling mm -hmm. those goods and services as well. So in my opinion, I think that there's also a set of activities and tasks from the within the buyer, uh, let's say positions like the purchasing professionals that can be automated as well. Like for instance, you know, inventory forecasting, right? Uh, and there's another thing that no buyer on this planet really likes and that's monitoring legal compliance across thousands of pages of uh, contracts and things like that with suppliers. Uh, this, this is like a routine activity. It doesn't take too much intelligence to do this, the compliance, and that it is going to be automated. That has the potential or the risk. That's the same word, right? Uh, so those, uh, those activities performed by salespeople that cannot be easily automated, it's going to be extremely difficult to do so, at least in the foreseeable future, right? The complex activities, let me give you some example, are, for instance, negotiation. This is like the bread and the butter of any salesperson, especially in a business-to-business -business environment, managing emotions and the experience in store, in uh, within the buying situation and process, articulating solutions, thinking about complex problems deciphering the meaning that someone has behind the language because I may say something in English right and that something means something different right so the AI might not be able to get this and grasp this right so that's that's very important if I can just add something on this and how and I'm not implying that the AI technology right now it is not sophisticated but however it is not to a perfect stage at this moment as we are talking right now I mean if you if you expand effort and you really uh, dig into the advances in the AI technology uh, you're gonna see that there's so many different examples from magnificent companies like world-class organizations like Google and YouTube and things like that that they have been at the forefront of employing generating developing and employing AI and still they're making mistakes and I was having these examples in my mind like for instance like uh, you YouTube right um, so, and, and I know that many 
of our uh, listeners right now, they, uh, they know about those incidents, but you, YouTube wasn't able to take down terrorist videos, right? Because they have been employing AI uh, technology and it wasn't fast enough to understand whether you know this is something that comes from a terrorist group, right? So what they did is that they went back and they hired, like if I remember correct, thousands of humans as moderators just to check and recheck and check again, right? The same happened with uh, Google, with, uh, excuse me, not Google, with uh, Facebook, the data scandal. I was a recent, uh, you know, on the headlines and so on and so forth. Elon Musk did the same when he said he tweeted something like a couple of years ago that I made a huge mistake. I'm only employing robots in my uh, lines of production. I'm going back to hiring humans, right? It's very important because even if from the engineering standpoint and the technician standpoint, these guys are magnificent in thinking outside of the box and so on and so forth. Uh, so um, coming to an end on this answer, uh, and I thank you for your patience, is that I believe that two things are going to happen within the sales profession. Both automation for the uh, very routine, let's say, uh, type of activities as those that I described, and augmentation as well, which means the automation means that some of the activities are going to be replaced, the routine, and augmentation means that the AI is going to be assisting humans with their day-to-day -day activities. I see a future in sales. If I can summarize this with just one phrase, I see smart machines helping smart people and vice versa. It's good to know, back to those examples that you just had with Elon and, and YouTube and Facebook, I think that's some additional assurance that some of the top minds in the world are still not to the point where they can completely replace humans. And in some cases, those tasks aren't even like sales related. So it's even more complex maybe than filtering through videos. Um, so that's definitely some good assurance to continue to get people to realize that it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, so back to that augmentation versus automation piece. Could you explain a little bit more about not only what activities, because I think we'll get into that a little bit later, but um, what you mean by each one of those words and what eventually what activities those correspond to in a sales path? Yes. Like I said before, the um, augmentation means that the AI is assisting humans okay. in their day-to-day -day operations. Just like a CRM system back in the 90s when it was introduced uh, primarily, it was helping salespeople to do things, okay? With problems, right? It wasn't an easy technology. AI is not gonna be an exception. I mean, there's gonna be uh, problems within sales organizations um, accepting from the salesperson standpoint, accepting the fact that they're gonna have a smart digital assistant mm -hmm. uh, to tell them which call, uh, sales call is more important today. Uh, imagine the future is gonna look like you wake up in the morning and your AI-based digital assistant pops up on your smartphone and uh, perhaps uh, it can talk, it can you know, text you or something, and uh, they can say, uh, Cole, you got a very important appointment today with Mr. XYZ, right? According to my late overnight analysis over LinkedIn and thousands of tweets of that person, I believe this is what you need to do. This is where you need to concentrate with uh, Nick uh, yeah. as, as you know, being the buyer. So that is that is the augmentation we're talking about. So the things that we do, the basic and primary functions, okay, are gonna be the same, the things that we do in sales, 
they are just going to be augmented. And in my opinion, this is a great thing, just like we have seen this before with CRM systems with problems, with difficulties, but this is how we manage things within sales organizations. Uh, so in other words, it's going to take out routine activities mm-hmm. from my own, let's say, limited uh, time that I have for face-to-face interaction with my clients and just free me up. Make you more efficient. More yeah. efficient, yes. So um, so in my own research, and I, I would like to delve into this just to provide uh, with you and everybody else here uh, with more precise answers, uh, what I did is I, uh, I actually grouped the activities and I analyzed using uh, secondary data from uh, governmental sources. Um, I analyzed about 200 different activities of salespeople across professions and across industries. So not just you know, business to business or machinery industry, that's across the board. So then I, I, I grouped those activities, right, in my methodology, right, into two broad categories, okay? This is what salespeople do. So the first one is what I call the intelligence uh, or the cognitive component, okay? Group of tasks and activities, right? Now in there, you can find uh, things like order taking, forecasting and predicting, uh, opportunities, identification, things like that. These are very routine activities, and these activities across professions, they have a high risk of being automated. Right? Within this group, we got the so-called creative intelligence activities, right? For instance, coming up with unusual or clever ideas on the basis of feedback that you receive from uh, your client. And that feedback might not be very specified. It might be very ambiguous, right? So I need to be uh, you know, engaged in abstract thinking and you know, decipher the meaning behind the words and the problems. I need to dig into the problem, right? So that is within this group of uh, activities, that's something that uh, doesn't run a high risk, I would say a considerable, very low risk of being automated. Now the second group of activities that we do in sales besides you know, thinking, the cognitive process, is doing things. And that involves to a great extent the social activities with clients, right? social engagement. Now in there we got like uh, activities again uh, which are very routine and can be automated uh, like uh, you know routine interaction uh, providing you know answers to typical questions like greeting customers, help desk assistance, things like that. And then we got very complicated I would say um, very complicated set of social interactive activities like uh, understanding or being aware of others' emotions, like, you know, the emotional intelligence, right, component over there. Uh, Bringing others, like buyers, partners together uh, to try to reconcile differences in opinions, for instance. This is part of the negotiation process, right? Persuading others to change their minds of behavior so I can, you know, uh, provide them with the solution they need because they might be thinking in a very... uh, fixed way which is not helpful for them. That calls for negotiation and persuasion skills, which to me are of paramount importance, right? So in a nutshell, once again, in summarizing everything, there are cognitive things and there are, let's say, social things and activities we do that run the risk of being automated because they are very routine and they will be automated, in my opinion. There are other things, both cognitive 
involving thinking and interacting with in a social way with my clients, which are very complicated and cannot be easily replaced. So it seems like among those set of activities, you would want to be in a job that has more complex activities in terms of job security. If you wanted to not be afraid of losing your job, you would want to be in like an account management role or something like that versus uh, maybe a retail sales role. And I know that in your analysis, you did have some stuff on that. Would you like to touch on that? Yes, I would like to talk about this. Uh, I'll get this in a minute. I, I, I'd like to start out by you know, summarizing my previous answer in the sense that I believe that the salespeople of the future, and this is something that we as educators working with students, not just with the companies right now, uh, we need to understand very well, is that I believe that salespeople need to become mini scientists, and I'll talk about this. That means that they will need to understand the ways and the methods and the tools to engage in creative thinking, and many psychologists, which means that they will need to be on a daily basis able to understand the emotions better from clients, the things that cannot be easily automated, and be really engaged in the social moment of truth when interacting with the clients, right? So I'll get to the um, um, more specific answers there. Uh, There is, before I get to my own research again, because I think I believe it's very important to very briefly uh, summarize the findings of others before me, uh, very important organizations on this planet that they have uh, not in the sales profession, and this is why I did my own research yeah. specific to sales, but they have provided significant evidence about the future of occupations in general, right? And I am mentioning those sources. The first one is the University of Oxford in the UK. Second one is the OECD, right? The Organization for Economic uh, Cooperation and Development. This is like the US and the whole European Union and Asian countries uh, they are part of. It's like the UN, United Nations, from an economic standpoint. Then we got McKinsey that I mentioned. And then we got uh, a major, and I believe the most important, maybe think tank on the planet, which is the World Economic Forum. This is where, you know, people like, you know, Bill Gates, they go every year uh, in Switzerland and in other places, and they talk about the future of professions, right? And we need to listen to them, what they have to say, those people that make decisions and those people that they do understand how the economy works. So all those four aforementioned sources, they tell us the exact same thing. There is minimum risk of automation of automation for professions like, for instance, sales engineers, something which is complicated, or account managers, to get back to your question, right? There is higher risk in business to consumer and retailing. Why is that? Because most of the activities involved in a retail store context, they're routine, just like I explained before. So because of the, uh, the total number of activities performed by them, and they are uh, they can be automated. That's why the those guys employed in a retail setting, they can be more automated than others, right? So that's something, once again, coming from important sources. I strongly believe some of the most important sources uh, on the planet, right? So as I mentioned before, uh, in my own research, I, I dug into the, um, you know, to, almost about 200 activities across professions. Uh, I work with uh, US-based data. 
that I had available. And my projections based on those data and information I have uh, for, you know, the job op openings and the job growth in the sales profession overall is steady, right, across the board, right? Uh, it's like there is an average job growth of about 5%. That's given by official sources in the U.S. Uh, in my research, I found that the average risk of automation in sales is 23% across occupations, right? However, if we now break this down, this automation risk, okay, in the more routine types of sales jobs like travel agents and uh, telemarketing representatives and things like that, that risk goes up to 52%, okay, once again. So we see there's a jump, significant jump there. Now, so, but overall it's 23. If we go to, you know, sales engineers and account management positions, that falls significantly down, that, you know, 23%. Now, I want to ask you this question, and uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, and you probably know the answer in <laughs> classes or something, uh, but, you know, just for the sake of the conversation, because many people think that some professions are safe right now. This is, you know, what I take from my own students and executives in organizations. They say, well, there are occupations within a company, and I see those, you know, software engineers, statisticians and you know all those guys programmers who are responsible for developing AI and maintaining those those guys are very much much in need and therefore they have a lower risk of automation correct yeah my research says no so even within those occupations like uh, you know statisticians and software programmers and things like that they their risk ranges from anything of 28% to 32% of being automated. That is pretty much the same with the 23% that I have identified for sales professions. In other words, in plain English, we run the exact same risk, sales and other occupations. We are not very peculiar, I mean, <laughs> to being displaced, right? So yes, I believe that anything uh, in summarizing my answer uh, and getting back to your question originally, I believe that the more the future in sales, and this is something we are doing, many uh, good universities, just like the Shea, we train our people, our students, and the companies we work with on the more important tasks and activities that involve creative thinking, thinking out of the box, and things like that. Uh, I believe on the basis of my research and evidence available that sales engineers, uh, strategic account management positions, account management positions, right? Uh, anything that uh, involves consultative sales and selling approaches, it is very safe, at least for the uh, foreseeable future. Well, I think um, with those two categories, or at least the the complex activities that you mentioned, the creative intelligence and then the complex social activities. Um, could you dive a little bit deeper on what specifically in a sales role that would look like for the listener? Just because I think it's, it's important to understand that if we are somewhat subjected to routine tasks in our job, um, understanding what other skills we can build up to get better so we're less likely to be in a a compromising position to be replaced. So, yes, uh, I'll go back because this is what I've done in my research. And when I classified, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, 
uh, and I group the uh, the activities and the and the tasks that we do. The activities that we I don't see any high risk of being automated because they're very complex. That's why, and they require human interaction uh, to a great extent, to a significant extent, and also creative thinking. Are for instance understanding the bigger picture and the bigger context. So imagine a business-to-business salesperson. She walks into an organization and she is very well trained to understand not just the problem, like I need to buy that the buyer states, I need to buy a new CRM system, right? That's something very simple. If that's the, if that's the only thing they want and they, they, they understand that they just need a CRM system with those specifications, one, two, three, four, and so on, that thing can be replaced by AI. If the need is very complex from a buyer standpoint, and so the salesperson needs to understand the wider efficiencies or better inefficiencies within the buyer organization, that requires a lot of significant interaction and understanding of you know, what's going on in the client organization, that is something understanding, therefore, the bigger context, building relationships with senior executives, C-suite executives within an organization, that's also something very complex that cannot be uh, automated. Um, working with, um, let's say, unusual or very difficult problems, right, that cannot be understood by an algorithm, this is something as well that can be uh, is, is something where we need to focus on. Providing personal assistance, okay? Caring about the client and exhibiting, displaying those emotions in front of the customer is something that every human person, because from a biological standpoint, we are humans are, you know, are defined as primary mammals, right? And we adore the human interaction, the face-to-face interaction, because we can understand, and I, I, I promise you, I won't go deep into the brain and the neurology, but this is something that happens in the brain as we're interacting with humans face-to-face. We cannot understand this right now, but we just love it, right? And we need someone to uh, provide this caring interaction for us. Um, Navigating hierarchical levels within an organization, difficult, complex hallways of influence. It's very difficult for an algorithm to understand who is making a decision and why. What are the aspirations of a purchasing professional? What are the objectives of a senior executive in the C-suite and why they need to buy the services and the goods? And so on and so forth. I also mentioned you know, other activities before and I'm not going to reiterate them. Mm-hmm. Well, I think in addition to that, you would have to, in order to try and replicate these complex activities, you would have to have a really good high-level salesperson explain to somebody that knows how to write code how to put that into code, which is incredibly difficult, I imagine. Spot on. This is, this is incredible what you're saying right now because actually, so I'm, I'm doing this in my research right now, and thank you so much. <laughs> And I don't know if this is good for the podcast or not, because I can talk for hours about this. <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, uh, in a nutshell, when we go into an organization and we're, we work with them, and I, I do this, I, I train people, I, I work with leaders and so on, and I ask them, what really makes a top salesperson 
in your company, in your industry. And everybody I have met in my life in the U.S. and everywhere, right, they just say, Nick, that's going to take a couple of hours now. Just sit down, grab a coffee, <laughs> like a couple of them, and actually let me talk for the next three or four hours explaining to you. It's, in other words, it is so difficult, even very for subjective. those, very subjective, even with, within the organization to give you, you know, an information about what makes coal an outstanding salesperson in his organization, that it's so difficult to codify every little step you take from the time you wake up in the morning. And it's not, you know, the obvious, the manifested behaviors. There are things that I cannot see and observe right now. It's mm -hmm. the way that you are processing things. So if I need to do this, right, I need to put you in the fMRI. This is like, you know, a machine, a device that can read your brain and things like that. And it's still going to take years of research to codify how a great salesperson works, right? And how they process information on the spot. Okay, that's very important. Well, it seems like that would outweigh the benefit of automating stuff anyways, because you're investing all those resources and then you're probably going to have the robot tax and eliminating jobs. So it doesn't seem like, at least in the the near five to ten years in the foreseeable future yeah. yes um, well we, we have to wait I mean I am very careful this is why I started out strong and I want to send the message that we need to take it easy everyone okay um, in the business and the sales profession and we need to understand not just the technology itself not just the sales profession itself not just the economy itself but the way the economy and our profession and the technology evolution, they're just being combined together. Okay? The mechanisms, yeah. The mechanisms, right? So, uh, yes, we can, we can, I think we can safely say that not in the foreseeable future. I, I just want to send also the message that there is a strong, huge literature we have, the body of knowledge we have, like for the past 30 years, and it's not very well understood by, uh, you know, it's not really well known, I would say, by practitioners because that's not their job to read the academic literature. But please allow me to take this a few seconds to just say the following message. We know, and we know this very well, I mean, there is no margin of error right now on this, that if you really ask me, give me one word, that really summarizes the whole sales profession, that would be one word, and that's trust. How do you build trust between a buyer and a seller in general, right? And if you also, you know, push me and say, well, who's responsible for this, for this important notion and concept? I would say it's that we know this from years, 35 years of research right now, this is the human person who's responsible. Who is the person who is going to take care of your expectations and it is going this person it is going to deliver in an honest straightforward way uh, the goods and services and the solutions you need and make sure that you understand going and many business to business salespeople right now and leaders understand what I'm saying right now that salesperson is going above and beyond the contract saying, I am here for you to support you going above and beyond the articles in a contract, right? And that means there's human-based, human basis, excuse me, for building the trust. And, uh, you know, 
um, managing conflict, managing tensions, bringing together people again from different sides, uh, like within the sale, sales organization, within the buying organization. That's very important. We know this very well, trust. And that cannot be automated, I mean, not in the foreseeable future. Well, even in the, the less complex sales cycles, I think that that human touch and that emotion is so much of a buying decision, having that interaction that you keep mentioning. I worked selling vehicles in the past, and that was a very, very big part of what we did was really building that rapport and that connection and understanding even a less complex problem on a personal level, which I, I don't know that, that that could be replicated with a robot, and it seems like it would be very disingenuous trying to have an emotional conversation with a machine. So that's really awesome. And, and thank you so much for sharing not only your own research, but really the full picture of what's going on so listener can understand what to expect or at least some predictions of what to expect. So with that being said, I'd like to move into the For the Students section. Really excited to pick your brain because you do have some unique experience worldwide, consulting, sales, teaching, all of that. So um, I'm in your strategic account management class right now. And I know that you're very passionate about your students. If you were back in college as an undergrad student in this uh, current economy and environment, what is some advice that you would give yourself knowing what you know now? It's a great question. I love this one. So we're uh, uh, switching gears right now. And uh, uh, I, I assume we, um, we have the student in mind right now. This mm -hmm. is correct, right? So yes, I, um, yes, I love my students, of course. Um, I would say to myself, right, and of course to any of my students, I keep saying this again and again. I know you guys are, you know, keep listening to this again and again. First message, I got a few big messages, right? First one is invest in learning something new every single day. Our profession and other professions as well, we need, they require that we need to be upskilling and reskilling ourselves every single day. There are so many great things happening right now. Um, I Like for instance, you know, linking this back to the evolutions with the advances of AI, um, I think that sales is becoming very quickly a data science based profession. And you know that we try to do this in our class, in the account, strategic account management class uh, at least, we work with numbers, we're very quantitative, right? We make predictions, uh, we try to understand customers' profits in the future, things like that. Uh, so anyone listening, any student, guys, learn something new every single day. Uh, direct your efforts towards learning something from data science, and that can be anything like, for instance, um, how do you employ machine learning, uh, plain, machine learning algorithms, right, using a plain software, how do you do lead scoring? How do you use exploit AI to do better predictions about the opportunities out there? Find out resources, uh, get a course outside of your comfort zone. That's one big message. Then I have a second big message, right, that I always, you know, and that's, that's very personal to me, based on my own experiences, all over countries, find your mentor within organization and find this guy shouldn't be, must not actually be the most easily approachable guy. Find the tough guy who is the best in the organization. And in a nutshell, 
I am talking about if you want to be the best, you have to learn from the best. And I strongly believe this is what we need to do. Find the best person and shadow them forever. Uh, work hard. I think, I think that many of us, we underestimate. I am an extremely, I've been in all my career a hard worker, right? I do not believe in, uh, and excuse me for saying this, in the genetics. Uh, people say there are people who are, you know, uh, smarter than others, right? Uh, well, of course, that might be true, but I also believe in the people that work very hard throughout Absolutely. their careers, and they develop and they grow to be amazing world-class professionals because they want to learn something new every day and because they invest. You cannot expect to be a wonderful uh, company person, a salesperson, a sales leader, if you do not invest time outside of your comfort zone, outside of the, you know, the regular business hours and things like that. I just cannot, I, I haven't seen this. I mean, the people that I, had, I was blessed to interact with and I learned from them, they've been working around the clock, 24-7. I'm just exaggerating, but I mean that they're just able to pick up the phone on a Saturday morning and help someone or reach out and being helped by someone on a Saturday evening, okay? You need to do this. Work hard. Be passionate about something. You can't be successful if you don't want to invest and you're not passionate about this. So you mentioned um, becoming world-class, and that's something yes. that you yes. do mention in strategic account management, I'm sure, in your other classes you teach as well. Oh, yes. I do this all the time, yes. We all love it, and it's definitely a big challenge um, for students to understand and strive for this. And I think that we all have been brought up, some of us not even to have the mindset of moving out of the state. So that challenge to have the global mindset and try and be in the best in the world at something that you're doing is really unique and I'd love to dig a little bit deeper on what you mean by that and how we can strive to attain that goal. Okay, so um, the things that I have just shared with you, the aforementioned traits, I strongly believe they are manifestations of a world-class individual. But I would like to add a couple more. Okay, so being world-class means that you are a rare type of an individual who is the best in his or her industry, marketplace, not just the organization. You're just an amazing person. Everybody wants to be around him or her, okay? Because you have capacities and skills and so on. So just like I mentioned before, like um, investing every day in learning something new, this is an incredible trait that very few people have, okay? There are other traits as well. And this one, I, I just, you know, I love this one. I love this trait because I think that very few people do it in practice, and yet it is of paramount importance. And I, can, I have in my mind right now um, a few individuals that I have met. I've crossed paths with those people, and I have learned from them. They have taught me, and these are some of the best people in their own industries, right? This trade I'm talking about is be willing to take risks, okay? I also agree because there might be some if we had you know someone else uh, from the playing the devil's advocate that well you shouldn't take any risks and I, I would agree with him or her and say yes that's a path you can take but what I have seen those extremely successful and rare people they take significant risks and let me explain and give you some examples 
right away, right from the outset of your career. So you graduate our students and go to work, right? Then there is an opportunity in front of them in say like the second quarter, like the first year, right? Which is like, well, I'm, I'm still learning. I'm, you know, I'm still like, you know, a new guy here, you know, trying to understand, learn the ropes and things like that. And let me just give you one example. So there is a messy situation in the organization, in the sales organization, and the sales director or someone says, who wants to join the team of turning around this, you know, department, this region, you know, working hard, right, in the next couple of years with significant risk, with huge rewards, right, because they go hand in hand. I would say jump on it, take the risk that no one else dares because that's how we learn, right? And I'm not saying, and I'm not suggesting to do silly things, right? I'm saying if there is a situation which is hard to solve and it's very important, that's a great organizational problem, grab the opportunity, okay? And as you're moving, you know, uh, climbing higher in the hierarchy of the organization and then you're gonna find the opportunities, other opportunities pop up, like for instance, you know, building something from the scratch, a new team, a new division or something like this, being involved in a merger and be a consultant to the organization because you understand the sales processes of both organizations that are being merged, go ahead and take the risk because that is going to be one of the brightest points in your resume, in my opinion. So this is another trait they have there, right? Um, I, I'd like to add to another trait, and I, you know, I got other things, but I think this is uh, something that stands out. Those individuals, the world-class individuals I'm talking about, they don't just do the aforementioned things, and they only have, you know, those traits, but other traits, right? They have lived and worked outside of the United States because I understand that most of our audience comes from the U.S. right now. They have not just traveled. They have not just taken a study abroad, which is important. It's key. It's nice to have this, right? And we do this, the GCP. This is very important. But they have actually lived and worked. They have been taxed in another country. <laughs> they understand how people are making decisions, right, in the real place, and that is very unique. So how do you, if you ask me, hey, Dr. P, how do you describe that trait? I mean, just give me an example, right? I see those guys that I have met in my life, and they just can take the plane from JFK, New York, and they can land in Indonesia in 12 hours, and they have 12 hours to adapt. And once they land, they will be acting as Indonesians, they're gonna be natives. They understand the culture, they understand how to eat, the habits, everything about that. It's like, you know, just like coming in the US and don't understand the American culture, okay? And you want to sell to them. It's, it's going to be very difficult, right? If they don't understand, you know, what baseball is. Well, I think that'd be a great place to end, and I definitely can wrap my head around a little bit more about what you mean for world class, and I'm going to continue to strive toward that challenge. So thank you so much, Dr. P, for being on the show, and I really do appreciate it. I do appreciate it. Thank you so much for the invitation. Absolutely. Shout out to Dr. Panagopoulos for being on the podcast today. Since we actually recorded, Dr. P won the College of Business Research Award at Ohio University. So congratulations, Dr. P, on that accomplishment and keep being world class. If you guys enjoyed today's podcast, leave us a five-star rating 
and please subscribe to hear more from the Say Sales Center. Have a great day.